The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over six gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more. There's a long waiting list now for a Model Y. I think it's a six to nine month waiting list. That's how popular the Model Y is. But what do you think about this structural battery pack? Is is that going to be something other manufacturers pursue? Yeah, I have definitely an opinion about this structural battery pack. So, of course, there are advantages that you overall kind of increase the energy density and you, you can pack more batteries into the car and overall save weight. And then, you know, since it's really built into the chassis, you can get rid of some some of the parts and, and components that you would have without a structural battery pack. But as you say, recycling of these batteries or repairing broken batteries will be very, very hard. So I am not a fan of this movement. I see other battery manufacturers doing the sell to pack approach, you know, so this is something where you can also save some some space and increase energy density. I am personally a huge fan of modular batteries. So trying to have a concept where you can always have a small range modular battery. And once you need, whenever you need more range, you can add different modules to your car. And, you know, CATL just announced their swappable modular battery stations. I think this is a wonderful idea because overall, this will reduce the amount of batteries that we need. And people will really just drive with the weight that they need. Today on the Clean Power Hour, electrification of transportation. We are going to electrify transportation and everything. My guest today on the Clean Power Hour is Veronica Wright. She is a legitimate EV battery expert and an author of a book called The Drive to Electric. So I'm really pumped to have you on the show, Veronica Wright. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I don't know how I stumbled across your profile, but I'm so thrilled that I have. You're not only a battery expert, but you're based here in the Midwest, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So that's wonderful. And you've written a lovely book that I am currently reading. So I can't make a strong recommendation just yet, but I would encourage listeners to check out your book. And and we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about your consulting business. You are working with manufacturers of automobiles and batteries. And it's such a heady time, right? The statistic that sticks in my mind is that we're doubling year over year consumption or adoption of EVs in the US, tripling in some places like China. China and Europe are way ahead of the US in terms of the sheer volume of EVs that are being purchased. I'm not sure all the reasons for that, but Give our listeners a little background on yourself, Veronica. How did you get interested in batteries and then electrification of transportation? Sure. Very welcome. So 
I am originally from Austria, grew up in, in Graz, uh, did my technical physics studies and PhD in the field of simulation. And then my first job in Austria was with AVL in the battery area. So I really started my professional career with batteries and electric vehicles. I was not necessarily so much interested in cars in general, but I've always found the physics behind batteries really exciting. And when I started working on batteries, I thought it was very fascinating that we don't know so much about them, you know, about the chemistry is about how batteries age over time, which also affects, of course, the lifetime of electric vehicles and things like this. So I started in that area and got really excited, you know, using my physics background, but then also applying it to a real product. And then I'm so lucky that we are part of this huge transition and that batteries, electric vehicles, energy storage systems, all of that seems to take off since a couple of years now. And this is also the reason why a year ago, I decided to start my own company. I moved to the US, to the Midwest. Missing a little bit the mountains, but that's that's fine. <laughs> but enjoying the U.S. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I grew up in New Mexico near the Rocky Mountains, and yes, that is a shortcoming of our our landscape here in the Midwest. It's flat as a pancake, basically. <laughs> yes. So yeah, this is my story. This is how how I came here and started my own business as a consultant and social entrepreneur. Yeah. And and you're a real DIYer too. You're retrofitting a Jeep an ice engine Jeep to be an EV. You're also a new EV owner. You bought a Mach-E. I've uh, seen you promoting that purchase online, and we can talk about that experience. I'm an ice engine return customer myself. I went to a Model Y Tesla, and then for lifestyle reasons, backed out of that. It was a lovely experience, generally speaking except when the range was dinged so much in very cold weather. I'm not sure if if that's a theme that you have noticed among EV owners, but that was an issue for me and that the computer was not telling me the truth. It's funny because I made a little video about this on my personal YouTube channel and I got so much pushback from the Tesla community like, dude, you really should know this ahead of time, bro. The battery's not going to work as well in the cold. And I'm like, bro, the computer knows exactly what the weather is and exactly what the range is. It knows exactly how I drive and where I'm going. And it should tell me the truth. And it didn't. And that was the only thing. That was my only real gripe about the Model Y. Otherwise, lovely car. It's going to be the most popular car in America. Yeah. Americans don't see it yet. And that's the thing is we are a little asleep at the wheel, Veronica. We... <laughs> We don't realize that the world is making the transition and we still see EVs as some very strange phenomenon. Um, but in China, they're really going after it hard. And I see this as a strategic advantage for any, for any country, really. If you can get to a pure electrification of transportation faster, it's way more efficient. It's something like two-thirds more efficient on an energetic basis, right? You put electricity into the battery, the battery turns, pumps out electricity to the motors and moves the car. And that process is way more efficient than burning gasoline to turn a piston, to turn a crankshaft, etc., right? That is, talk about inefficient. Only something like, I think, 23% of the energy from the gasoline gets into the forward motion. That just makes good economic sense. And we are approaching a tipping point. 
and it's ice, 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 water, to use a chemistry analogy, right? The ice cube is solid until it hits, you know, the melting point and uh, 32 degrees, right? It's, it's 30 degrees and then 31 and then 32, and it still just looks like an ice cube. And then all of a sudden, it's water. That is an economic phenomenon, too. And in this case, the acronym ICE is, is a nice play on words, internal combustion engine. We are going to go to a pure EV economy sometime in the 2025 to 2030 range. It's unpredictable. You can't say exactly, Tim, it's going to be 2026 or 2027, but it's coming because EVs have many fewer parts. So you can you can get a lot more life out of a vehicle. You can get a million miles out of a pure EV vehicle and it's cheaper to drive. And those economics are going to drive consumers to EVs. And then meanwhile, the infrastructure is going to happen today. Still a little wonky for long distance traveling if you're going off of the main highway system. But for the most part, if you're on the main highway system, you're good to go. And I traveled across the country in my EV, and and that was a smooth experience. It does take a little longer uh, because you have to stop to charge which takes a little longer than filling your tank with gasoline. But where should we start? I would love for you to take us on a journey. My audience is energy professionals, financiers, technologists, and people that are very interested in the energy transition. And this is, you know, electrification of transportation is front and center because it's it's 30% of the carbon footprint of society globally, 40% here in the U.S. because we're such a car-friendly society. And so the benefits of electrification are ginormous. Yes, you brought up so many good points. I think there are so many facts, so many life cycle analysis that you can look into right now that show that electric vehicles and batteries, and then especially once you combine combine the transportation with the energy market, that it really makes a lot of sense to do that. But at the same time, as you mentioned, there is so much pushback. I realized that especially in the US, no matter what you say about electric vehicles, you will have a pushback. Um, there is many opinions out there. I think also feelings and opinions people build up over time. And maybe 20 years ago, when the technology really wasn't ready for a global rollout, but it is different now. And, you know, I'm working hard or actually having fun sharing what I'm working on and showing to people and trying to not convince anybody or change their mind, but just showing them how it looks like. And this is also the reason why I'm doing so many do-it-yourself projects now here in the US. I didn't do that before. My background and really my expertise is more actually on the simulation side. So I used to do lots of simulation also, for example, for predicting the lifetime of a battery depending on how you use it, depending on how much you charge it, in which conditions, how long um, is the life of a battery, how does the capacity drop. And that's, of course, also very much related to what you mentioned about the computer didn't tell you the right thing. Every computer, like the battery management system on board of the electric vehicle, is an algorithm, is a model, an estimation. And all that is not 100% accurate yet. But there are so many companies working on that. Chemistry and technology evolves. And now we're generating more and more data to, to work on all that. 
Yeah. Well, it's a mystery to me still why Tesla hasn't hasn't gone that route. But there's a lot of quirks with with all the companies and all the products out there. It's that's just part of the ecosystem. Let's talk about some of the topics that you cover in your book, The Drive to Electric, and it is available in Kindle and in hard copy or a real book copy on Amazon. You're touching on some some very important topics and topics that come up a lot, like the circular economy, the recyclability. People say to me, Tim, we're going to run out of, of landfill space. We're going to have so many batteries, you know, or we're going to run out of lithium. And I go, mm, slow down. You know, lithium is the third most common element in the universe after hydrogen and helium, right? And there's a lot of lithium here. Now, it's there's not a lot of lithium mines in the U.S. yet, and we do need to smell that coffee. And I would refer our listeners to an episode we did last week with Simon Moores at the uh, you know he's an expert on the supply chain of of the minerals that go into uh, EV batteries and and so but you know recycling supply chain what are your what are your thoughts about about that as it as it pertains to this this rapid ramp up that we're going to be doing now here in the US and globally yeah i think you mentioned some some great points there is so much misconception out there right now. And I'm getting questions almost every day and these pushbacks where people say, you can't recycle electric vehicle batteries. What are we doing after five years when they're dead? We don't have enough lithium and all of these questions. And, you know, if you hear that every day, and yes, I'm working in that field, but I can't know everything, obviously. But then sometimes it makes me a little bit uncertain. And I'm also questioned on all of that. And this was the reason, actually, why I started to write this book. So I went out and interviewed lots of different experts globally, really from around the world, people in the US, in China, in India, in Europe, really to get this global perspective and people and companies really working in different parts of the battery value chain. So some of them would produce the batteries, some of them would recycle them, some of them would reuse them after the first life in energy storage systems. And I'm bringing all that together in that book telling people stories, talking about why are they doing these things? What is their vision for our electrified future? What are the challenges we see right now? And I think at the least, this is also the feedback that I got. It's it's very inspirational to see that and really hear facts from experts working in the fields. Yeah, you know, it's noteworthy that J.B. Straubel, who was the former CTO and co-founder of Tesla, has started a company now called Redwood Materials, which is dedicated to recycling battery materials. And they're literally taking all different kinds of batteries, from the consumer batteries that you have in a flashlight to the batteries in cell phones and laptops and electric vehicles, and then breaking those down into their component parts and delivering you you know, the kind of lithium you need to make new, fresh batteries. And and that makes perfect sense, right? Like, why dig it out of the ground if you can dig it out of an old electronic or an old EV? And then we're going to repurpose EV batteries as stationary storage, right? Even though the battery might be at 80% of its capacity 
and you don't want to use it in an EV, you can use it for stationary storage. And that's definitely a thing as well. I don't know if you've run into those companies, but there is a company in Indiana that's doing this. So the circular economy is a very real thing. It's not it's not necessarily a no-brainer. It takes energy, right? It costs money to recycle and repurpose, but ultimately it is going to make a lot of sense. The battery is one of the more most expensive parts of a of a car, of a of an EV. So anyway, are there other things about the circular or circularity uh, and recyclability of EV batteries or batteries in general that you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really, I see it as an opportunity that we have with batteries. We don't have that with many other products where we're sharing a product between different industry over the lifetime of the product. And at the same time, the product changes, gets older, gets different. So that's a very unique situation. And we can exploit or make use of this situation by building the circular economy. It's not like a set thing that that happened 10 years ago. I think 10 years ago, people were more thinking about how can we make batteries? They did not really think about how can we design them in the best way to make them recyclable or in the best way to disassemble them for second life. These thoughts were not there 10 years ago, but really now there are even guidelines created for battery manufacturers and pack manufacturers that they need to produce batteries in a way so they're easier to recycle, they're easier to disassemble, to really build the circular economy. And finally, as you mentioned, recycling really turns into a local mining opportunity and you get these raw materials back and For example, there is a new paper where they show that a battery made from a recycled cathode has even a better performance than the original fresh one because the microstructure just changed in a very beneficial way. So many, many things to explore here. And also about this reusability, this is also a big part in my book. Reusing batteries after their first life, we all know at 70 to 80% of the original capacity in the electric vehicle, many consumers don't want to have the batteries in the cars anymore because the, the range dropped and also the warranty is ends around this time. But then there is the opportunity and many companies are doing that now, building their collaborations with, for example, stationary energy storage providers to repurpose these into energy storage. I am personally also for my conversion for the Jeep using batteries from scrapped cars. This is also a certain way of second life. So there is many options. And what batteries are you using in your retrofit project? This will be Ford batteries. Okay. So, you know, one other thing about this the battery and recyclability. Tesla is now famous for for anybody who's geeked out on the EV world and Tesla. The structural battery is a phenomenon, right? They're building the battery into the structure, the mechanical structure of the frame of the car. And that seems like a wonderful thing to do, but it also strikes me as making it difficult to extract those batteries from a car. And my co-host, John Weaver, who I do a news show with, his battery was damaged. He had a Model Y and his battery was damaged on the highway. Something was on the road that flew up and, and hit the battery and damaged the cooling system. 
the car had to be scrapped. And, and now he's buying a Hyundai because he could get to a Hyundai faster than he could get. You know, there's a long waiting list now for a Model Y. I think it's a six to nine month waiting list. That's how popular the Model Y is. But what do you think about this structural battery pack? Is, is that going to be something other manufacturers pursue? Yeah, I have definitely an opinion about this structural battery pack. So, of course, there are advantages that you overall kind of increase the energy density and you, you can pack more batteries into the car and overall save weight. And then, you know, since it's really built into the chassis, you can get rid of some some of the parts and, and components that you would have without a structural battery pack. But as you say recycling of these batteries or repairing broken batteries will be very, very hard. So I am not a fan of this movement. I see other battery manufacturers doing the sell to pack approach, you know, so this is something where you can also save some some space and increase energy density. I am personally a huge fan of modular batteries. So trying to have a concept where you can always have a small range modular battery and once you need, whenever you need more range, you can add different modules to your car. And you know, CATL just announced their swappable modular battery stations. I think this is a wonderful idea because overall this will reduce the amount of batteries that we need and people will really just drive with the weight that they need. And of course, these paths are completely different um, and affect the whole battery technology. And we don't know yet exactly maybe in which geographical locations, which option works better or worse or whatever. But it's it's nice to see different solutions. One more solution that I want to also address because it directly affects um, the size of a battery is charging from the road. So this is also you can read about that in my book with something completely eye-opening for me when I heard about it. So this is really while you're driving, you're charging your car from the road, either wireless or with a wire. And they do many pilots in Sweden. And for example, with 6,000 kilometers electrical roads in Sweden, your battery doesn't need to be larger than 20 to 40 kilowatt hours to get everywhere in Sweden. And you know, all that affects the future technology. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Clean Power Hour or viewing it on YouTube. We do have a great YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed, please go to cleanpower.group and hit that YouTube icon and subscribe to our channel. Of course, you can find all of our content on your favorite audio platform as well. So please give us a rating and review. I wanted to let you know that we are partnered with the Midwest Solar Expo this year. Check it out, midwestsolarexpo.com. You can get a 15% discount with our code, which is CPH15. We will also put that in the show notes, CPH numeral 15. The Midwest Solar Expo is the premier B2B solar and clean energy event in the region. It hosts over 450 clean tech executives from around the country. And it's a lovely event in Minneapolis, June 20th to 22nd. So please check it out. Back to the show. I'm glad you mentioned the road charging. I want to I want to talk about that. I'm glad you mentioned swappable modular batteries. I was talking with a professor from California just last week 
about this concept of swappability and and you know loading up your car with just the amount of batteries that you need you'll get better range right these things are heavy and that's one of the things though is they're heavy so i mean the battery pack in my model y was 1500 pounds now you can break that into modules that's the concept anyway right that can be removed one at a time so you're removing you're dividing that 1500 pounds into maybe 10 parts but even then, it's still 150 pounds. So does that really work? And then NEO is pursuing a swappable solution where you pull into a station that's dedicated. You basically get out of your car. A technician drives your car into the machine. It unbolts the battery from the bottom, puts in a new pack, and away you go. And that's a 10-minute process, and that's great. If you're in a dense urban area where there's stations available, and I don't know what the NEO network is like yet, NEO is one of the bigger you know, EV companies now. It looks like CATL has a partnership with EVGO on a swap solution. Tell me more about you know, the future of swappability as you see it, and then we'll talk about electric road charging. Yeah, I was always very skeptical about battery swapping in general. So when I look at NEO, where you really swap the entire pack, I am skeptical because that means we need more batteries than if all the batteries just had one battery without the swapping. So overall, we need more batteries because you have to have batteries in the swap station. And, you know, if we want to save materials and and be sustainable and so on, that, that was always something where I said, mm, I don't believe in that solution. I rather, you know, maybe change my mindset a little bit, wait a little bit longer at a fast charger. And so that was it basically for me and battery swapping. But then... CATL came out with this modular concept. And, you know, for me, that makes really a lot of sense. But you see my point, though. If you divide the pack into 10 parts, modules, they're still heavy. Yep, and they're still heavy. So do, do, do you have to have a machine in your garage that's going to hoist these things and, and make it you know, because I can't lift a 150-pound battery. Uh, I mean, I could drag it, but I can't really lift it and manage it easily as a, as a, as one guy. The way that they announced it, it's it's still like a swap station like Neo has, but with this modular concept. So you still would drive somewhere I see. and get it replaced there. Okay. So every gas station becomes a battery swapping station and there are a lot of gas stations, you know, so that's the good news is a lot of that physical infrastructure is there. We just need to start to carve out some of that real estate for, for battery swapping. Bad news maybe about that is, you know, the standardization of batteries, like every mm. OEM has their own battery pack solutions and even when they change between models it looks different so if you really want to roll that out you need a standardized format and i'm not so sure if if the industry can agree on that maybe there will be partnerships coming up and so you, we don't have to have a ford a tesla a gm and so on but so this is definitely something a little bit in the way of that solution it is, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned standardization because there's other factors, like the charging technology is not standardized. There's there's a handful 
of, of standards for charging. There's different physical nozzles. I mean, what a mess, right? And I guess that is the nature of early markets. And and then you'll see like Europe might go one way and the U.S. might go another. Tesla is going to open up their network to non-Teslas eventually. I, I don't know what they're waiting for. It, it seems like the flip of a switch to me. But what are your thoughts about how do you coerce the industry to standardize? Because it's it's really good for consumers, but it is sometimes, I think, a competitive advantage like Tesla. They built their own charging network. It was a big investment, but it really set them apart, right, from the rest of the pack. Because when you're traveling, you want level three charging. Uh, you can get 150 miles of range per hour of charging. And, you know, you can get 80% in 15 minutes when you're, when you're traveling. And that's really sweet. But how do you, how do you coax the industry towards standardization? That's a very good question. So the battery is really the IP. It's it's thirty percent of the vehicle net cost. It's it's everything behind. I mean, additionally, you you have you will see a lot um, technology evolvement in in efficiency in general, and this will be more than the battery. But still, battery in the future will be the main and is the main IP. So. I don't see this standardization happening. If you also break it down to the cell level, you know, we have the prismatic cells, we have the pouch cells, we have the cylindrical cells. So at least three different ones already here. And then everybody is creating their own size. And then you take it from there into a modular pack. So I do not see standardization happening in the next five to 10 years, I would say. Just one thing to mention is battery as a service. Okay. So, you know, right now, if you buy an electric vehicle, the battery is yours. You buy it with the EV. It's very expensive. And there is lots of discussions about the warranty. But so let's say there is a warranty for 100,000 kilometers and eight years. And if the battery is bad before then, you get it replaced by the OEM. And afterwards, it's kind of your problem. But then there is this huge trend, and that's comes along with standardization of doing battery as a service. So we have somebody that owns a company that owns the battery and is kind of leasing that either to the OEM or to to me as an electric vehicle driver, which kind of, of course, decreases the initial cost, but then you, you buy into it, you lease it, you lease only what you need. So I think concepts like that will help towards standardization. And that's very interesting. This is Really, very interesting for me to see how that evolves in the future. So are any of the American car companies going after this modularity and swappability of battery packs? I do not see that happening from the main yeah. traditional automakers. Yeah. And also, if you look into startups, um, Lucid or Rivian, they don't do that either. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about... Uh, charging on the road. That would be a dream come true, right? And you see this in certainly in a few American cities like Boston and in many European cities where you have feeler buses and feeler trolleys. They have feelers that stick up off the top of the vehicle and that then tap into electric wires that run overhead. The same phenomenon could exist opposite there's electricity in the road, and then you're charging wirelessly from that as you drive. And I think you mentioned there's a pilot project happening in Detroit? 
Yes, yes. That was a surprise to me too. Like the first electrical road pilot in Detroit. I shared that on TikTok and everybody was freaking out. Why would you do that in Detroit? Detroit has more problems than that. <laughs> but yes, it will happen. Yes, it does. But <laughs> it's wireless. It's one mile of wireless charging. And of course, the electric vehicles also need to be upgraded to support that solution. But so, yes, there is a pilot in the U.S. And then Sweden is really pioneering these electrical roads. I think there are four or five different pilots right now going on there. and. I think it's a very, very interesting solution because you can really then decrease the battery size of the weight of your EV. And, you know, when I am going, so I am, I'm living in Milwaukee and I need to go to Michigan a lot for, for business. If I had a part of my road, because I'm always taking the same road, we're in the US, right? One straight road. If I had electrical road charging there, this would be just wonderful. And I wouldn't need like a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack. Yeah, exactly. A lighter pack is a good thing. You're going to get more range, smaller battery, less expensive battery. You know, when you Google wireless EV charging, there's really like one main result as far as I can tell, and that's plugless power. They're making a mat that you put, you know, in your garage or at, at a bus stop or, it, you know, in a parking lot. And then you just drive over the mat and it starts to charge the vehicle. And in theory, this works, but then you need to make sure that the vehicle is easily retrofitable with the dongle that allows for this. And, and what is the state of wireless charging, I guess, in general? Is it, is it staged to go mainstream? Um, again, a, a question of standardization, I would say. I think we're still in the, in the exploration phase. I know more than, than only one startup that is working on either inductive or conductive charging from underneath your car, many of them in Europe. This helps a lot if you think about the cities in Europe, uh, I mean, also in the U.S. probably, but where you have to do outside parking, where not everybody has a house with a garage and you really have to park on the road. This is a solution that some of the startups are really pushing. And I think that's also very, very good. But I can't tell right now which solution will be dominant. I think we're still exploring and hopefully standardizing once we know, once we did some pilots and we can tell what solution works best. Yeah. So in the last few minutes that we have together here, Veronica, what should prosumers and energy professionals know about electrification of transportation that they may not be thinking of? You know, Elon Musk is a master marketer. He's in the news every day. He's a very controversial figure, but that serves him, right? Because any news that gets him in the news puts Tesla in people's brains, right? And Tesla has carved out a niche in our head as, as the premium electric vehicle. Now, they're being chased by the traditional OEMs. The Ford Lightning it gets a lot of press, and it's very popular, especially because it it has vehicle-to-grid capabilities. Maybe we should talk about V2G. And then there's this plethora of startups like Rivian, who are now in that, in that very painful spot of trying to scale manufacturing. I have a deposit on a Rivian. I would love to drive a Rivian pickup truck. It's made here in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, just an hour away from my home. 
how wonderful that would be to have an Illinois-made EV. But boy, are they in the cauldron of pain right now, right? And I don't really know all the details of what they're going through, but they're clearly going through a lot of pain, right? Because they only made like 500 trucks last year, I think. And they need to make hundreds of thousands of trucks, really. I'm not going to get my Rivian until 2023. And whoever gets it to me first, Cybertruck, Lightning, Rivian, I don't care. I want a EV pickup truck with 400 miles of range and great towing capacity. Who's, who's going to win that race? And then what else should our listeners know? <laughs> so in my opinion, nobody, not only one company needs to win the race. I like diversity. I like different options for everybody. Sure. There is when buying a car and now I know it even better because that was really the first car I ever bought. There are so many aspects. It's not only the technology or if you like the color or if whatever the vehicle looks attractive to you. It's also things like brand loyalty and other things. So it's nice to see so many OEMs now coming up with different options. So there is really something for everybody. What I am getting surprised about almost every day is all the new business models that we have with electric vehicles combined with the energy market. And I'm forgetting about some of them also all the time. And then I'm, I'm reminding myself, oh my gosh, yeah, this is also an option. You know, for example, now we're adding solar to the house. Then you think about, okay, how much you need, then you need a battery energy storage. But wait, if we get the Ford F-150 Lightning that my husband ordered, and then we can use that for vehicle to grid, that's a different story again. So be creative with the business models, embrace the uncertainty. This is at least what I do. And then also what I really love to mention is in Austria, so so my home country right now, we have more than 85% of the energy produced in the country is renewable already. And the goal is um, to be 100% by 2030, and they will reach that goal. It's very different to where I live now in Wisconsin, where it's maybe 10, 12% renewable. And, you know, but still, I want to I wanna show people, hey, look at just an example, this country, there is so much going on, electric vehicles make a lot of sense there. People are putting solar to their house and selling back the energy, making money doing that. So, so many options, so many business models, so many paths. Yep. I want to make a couple of announcements and then we'll let our listeners know how they can reach you, Veronica. Check out all of our content at cleanpower.group forward slash podcast. The podcast is brought to you by the Clean Power Consulting Group. Please give the podcast a rating and a review on your favorite audio platform. We also have a YouTube channel. If you go to cleanpower.group forward slash podcast or just cleanpower.group, you'll see the YouTube link. Go there, hit subscribe, hit the bell so you get notifications. We're dropping two videos a week now. We do a live on Thursdays with my co-host, John Weaver where we break down the clean energy transition news. We're doing this for you. And so the more you engage, the more you reach out to us, the more people will find the podcast and get in the know. The energy transition is the largest economic opportunity of our lifetimes. It's perhaps a $100 trillion opportunity in the next 30 years. And so we need lots of new people to come into the industry. And that is one of our primary goals here at the Clean Power Hour. Veronica, thank you so much for joining me today. How can our listeners find you? 
almost on every social media platform. Um, I have a website, electrifiedveronica.com. I have a YouTube channel. I'm active on LinkedIn, on TikTok, on Instagram, almost everywhere. I'm also having a, like, a podcast with my husband talking about our life and how we try to make it greener here in Wisconsin. So I'm always happy to, to be connected to new people, get their feedback, exchange, having options like the one today talking to you. Thank you. Yep. So check out Veronica's website and you'll find links to her podcast and her book there. She is the author of The Drive to Electric. Thank you so much, Veronica Wright, for coming on the Clean Power Hour. I'm Tim Montague, your host. Let's grow solar and storage. Have a great day, everybody. The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over six gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more.